Hello and welcome once again to another exciting episode of Releasing Your Inner Dragon with Drake and Marie. I am one of your hosts, Maxwell Alexander Drake, world-winning novelist, game writer, everything, comic, teach it all over the world. Um, as with as always, I'm here with my co-host Marie. Hi, I'm Marie Mullaney. I'm the author of Sangwill Chronicles, and I have a YouTube world-building channel called Just in Time Worlds. So today's gonna be a an interesting topic. But before we get to it, remember, and I know you've heard this a million times, but seriously, it does actually matter. Add us to your favorites, like it, subscribe to it, whatever you got to do. And, and really, for, for me, the most important thing is, is I know you know other writers. Don't be selfish. Share this with them. If you're getting something out of it, don't you think they would get something out of it? Trust me, it's not a competition. Share this on your socials, on whatever, in your writer's group, tell people about it when you're at a writer's meeting. Say, hey, releasing your inner dragon kind of helps me. You should look it up. That's really, really would help a lot for us to continue doing this stuff. So, all right. So let's get into this. This is going to be an interesting one. We haven't, we've been, you know, we're, we're testing a lot of things out on this podcast. We've been, you know, some of you are really enjoying listening to us plot a book and we're going to start writing it. And, and so that's really cool that we're doing on this. We've done some, uh, we actually did a um, reaction video that YouTube denied and I'm trying to get that um, posted somewhere else. So more news will be coming about that where we actually watched a short, um, it's about a 15 minute short movie. Uh, one of my favorites and we talked about it and I broke it down and we went back and forth on that. But uh, YouTube was like, no, you can't do that. It was um, really fun. And then they were like, no, you, you're using too much of the other person's video. It's like, really? Because that yeah, video is 15 thing. minutes long. And, yeah, but that video is 15 minutes long and ours is an hour. Like, we right, did a exactly. lot of pause. We added a little bit to it. Yeah. Um, and anyway. we were using it for a lesson. You know, we were actually yeah. teaching writing. And and yes, it's a it's video. But I do like using video to translate into prose. So We'll, we'll try to get that up somewhere else. Uh, if nothing else, I'll throw it up on maybe Drake U, um, and we'll send a link to it or whatever. Um, but we've we've kind of gotten away from grammar and writing and stuff like that. It's 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 been a little while, so we want to get back to what the core of this show is supposed to be, which is how to be better prose writers. Mm-hmm. Um, we almost did a, a a thing on grammar. We're gonna save that. Um, that's really my fault. I wasn't 100% ready. Uh, I ended up getting up at 3.30 this morning and not quite sharp enough to just dive into grammar. But this is going to be interesting. We've kind of touched on this topic a couple different times uh, in the past. But we really wanted to focus on this one aspect of creating the everyman for your story. Why it's important why you should really pay attention to it as heavily as you can. It's going to combine some of the other topics that we've talked about, like not starting in a dream, not starting in a, a fight scene, or you know, if you are going to do those things, why you have to take such great care to make sure that they don't fail. The reason why, you know, the, the publishing industry is interesting. When they tell you not to do something, it's not because they don't want you to do it. It's because 80% or 90% of the people who try it fail miserably. And so instead of encouraging those one or two people that could actually pull it off, they just tell everybody not to do it because it's easier for them. So, you know, it's just kind of the way it is. And I get that, you know, they're dealing with a lot of people and a lot of different skill levels. And so it's easier just to deny certain things. Um, 
So when I say don't start in a dream or don't start in a fight scene or whatever, what I really mean is you're starting behind the eight ball. If you don't pay attention to exactly perfectly what you're doing, you could really end up losing a lot of readers right there in that chapter. So, and actually, Marie, you were the one that threw this out there. Uh, you got me all excited about it, but why don't you kind of start us off and, and kind of what you said to me at the beginning of this when you were like, this is what I want to talk about and why. So I was going through a, a critique on a story and um, and the, it, the writing was really solid, right? So I had very little bad to say about the writing or anything like that, but it started with an action sequence and it was a 10-year-old girl, right? It's a 10-year-old girl POV, which is a character that you should have almost instantaneous sympathy for. I mean, they don't come much cuter than 10-year-old girls, you know? It started with her running behind her master, in this case, not a slave, you know, not, not in a slave master relationship, mentor. but like an apprentice, yeah, mentor. Mentor. Mentor relationship. Um, in fantasy language, you sometimes need to specify. <laughs> right. Um, <laughs> so we still call them masters. Yes, that's you know, um, like Master Splinter. Yeah, Master Splinter, man, I love that show. Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> um, so she's running behind her mentor, and then she flashes like th that's the opening paragraph. The next paragraph flashes back to she was like she's like she had just been woken up, and I was like, well, why don't you just reverse these two things? Just have her wake up and then run, and then as the whole like paragraph unfolds and they're being chased by monsters and whatever. I'm like, yeah, but, but why do I know nothing about the girl? So every time something happens, there's like a little, I don't want to call it a flashback, but it's like a past perfect tense, you know, where the girl's basically thinking back to what the events that had led to this moment in this kind of action sequence. So I'm not experiencing the action firstly. Right. So instead of just experiencing the action as it runs, I keep having like the relationships explained because now I have to be explained that actually she has a really stern mentor and she got a hiding yesterday. Right. Now I get to explain that because she stumbles across the corpse of the dude who'd caused that hiding. Then she kicks the corpse. Now I'm like, okay, but now I've lost sympathy for a 10 year old girl who, yes, she got a hiding because of this dude. But saying that somebody deserved death because they got you into trouble is is kind of like um, <laughs> yeah. edging, edging on, on rough. <laughs> you know, that's a rough introduction to a POV, even if it is a 10-year-old girl. Well, um, and, so, okay, go ahead. I mean, it's almost worse because it's a 10-year-old girl. <laughs> right. Because that's kind of sociopathic. But... Regardless, the biggest problem, in my opinion, was it felt frenetic because it wasn't, and not frenetic in a good way, not the way that combat is frenetic, in a bad way, because it's trying to pack all of this world building, all of this relationship building, everything is trying to be packed in in these little flashbacks in between stuff happening. And it was just chaos, you know. Um, and as I said, there's nothing wrong with the writing. It wasn't like I had problems with the line editing or anything like that. It was it was showy. It was all of those things, but it it I didn't feel the character. Well, 
and we've said this many a times, if you are doing flashbacks in your opening page and your opening scene, you have started the story more than likely in the wrong spot. I mean, that's just the way it is. But, you know, it's, it's amazing to me how many people miss the order of things. This happened last night in my writer's group. It's been a while since I've actually said that, but this happened last night in my writer's group. Um, there's a line, something about, um, and I'm not going to do it verbatim because I don't want to, because he is an avid listener to this, so he'll know I'm talking about him. Um, but, but there was a line, something like, hey, you're friends with so-and-so because you have this thing on you. And the very next line is the, the character answer him, I am friends with that guy. How did you know? It's like, literally, he just said, I know you're friends with this guy because you have this thing. Why would you now ask me how I know? Like, it was just, and and nobody at the table noticed it. And it was like, so so some things like that can slip through. Now, I'm, I'm being very, mm. I'm, I'm putting more emphasis on it than it was, but it literally was yep. that. And, you know, the the chronological order of things is vitally important to making sure that your audience really understands kind of what's going on and sees everything. And and that's why I hate flashbacks so much. Mm -hmm. um, now, that's it, it depends on what you're doing. Like, you know, every time I come to this, you know, a lot of people hit me with the well, the first chapter <laughs> of the Genesis Oblivion saga in it. It does, but the chapter is designed to show that flashback. Hmm. Nothing happens in the chapter but the flashback. So it's hmm. not like I'm doing this, oh, we're running from monsters and we're having this huge thing. And oh, by the way, also, I'm trying to give you all this other information. The chapter is a dude in a cell and the camera never leaves a cell and no one ever enters the cell. It's designed to give you this flashback. Why didn't I, you know, why does that exempt me from why well, you didn't start the store in the same place? Well, it's because... um the flashback starts when he was about a year and a half old and goes until yesterday. So it's these little slivers of moments of time. And the way it's that it's introduced is somebody is actually probing this character's mind. And so he's, you know, the, this person is pulling these these little memories out. And so it reads fine. You know, again, it's all it's not that you can't do this stuff. It's that you have to think about how you're going to deliver it to the audience so that you aren't confusing them. In a way, like I almost do what this dude does in my new entrance to the Hidden Blade, which I'm in the process of editing because you see, you infected me with this editing. <laughs> but anyway, so in in the in the Hidden Blade, I now I have Louis packing, and then he picks up a gift from his daughter, and he thinks like his daughter had given this because she had given it to him before he left home. It is fine to do that. It's fine to, but not when it's like one day back, you know, not when it's like yesterday, because if it was yesterday, then just start the story yesterday, you know, and, and he's sitting there reflecting, you know, he's busy packing. There's not like a ton of other stuff right. going the on. The <laughs> scene is designed to give this backstory information. Yeah. So, yeah. so I don't, I'm not really worried because, you know, he did something recently and it could have been when he did that thing. Oh, so I don't know if I put a time limit on it. It's really about how you craft the scene. Mm -hmm. So yours is a lot like mine where that scene is there 
because I don't need to, to you to actually experience this stuff in the past. What you actually need are these heartfelt moments of these memories. Mm-hmm. But I don't need you to relive these memories. I just need you to make sure that you understand about these memories because those memories connect like memories connect you to the to the lion dude claim mm-hmm. um, and that's what the scene is designed to do whereas it sounds like this one that you're critiquing that scene is designed to give you this action sequence mm-hmm. and oh yeah we're also going to give you this other stuff that slows down the action that has nothing to do with with kind of what we're doing and so on and so forth so my biggest problem is actually around, as you say, slowing down the action. Mm-hmm. Because the action was actually quite well written. But because you're also trying to world build, to magic build, to tell me about the religious order that this chick's in, to tell me about her relationship with her mentor, to tell me about her relationship with a warrior they meet on the battlefield, all of the stuff's getting packed in. So I'm not enjoying the action. I'm getting like crowds of other information. And that's what doesn't work. Right. And the same thing I feel happens with um, people who who haven't world built and then try and pack in an action sequence with their magic. Like the, the combat is the first place where they introduce the magic. You haven't seen anything about the magic. And then it's just crazy. Right. Now, I do a combat sequence without introducing my magic in, in the prologue of the book. But I also don't bother to explain it. I just toss the words out there, show the effect, and on I go, you know. Right. <laughs> I, I skim over it so fast, the reader's going like, wait, was that magic? <laughs> um, because of that, because I'm like, I will get to it. You just chill, you know, you you read and chill, and, and I will get around to explaining it well, eventually. And that's where I fall into the readers are a lot more savvy than you than a lot of people give them credit for. I don't do any, as you know, anything. So if my character is a seasoned mage and he's using his magic, I'm not going to explain any of it because he's not going to explain any of it to himself. And so therefore, you know, but I am going to write it in a way and I'm going to make sure that my sentence structures are in a way so that you do, you, you should be able to infer what you need to infer so that you can understand what's going on. Plus you should be a fantasy fan. So that, that's it for me as well. I'm like, you know, readers, readers of fantasy are not, like they know that there's going to be weird words. They know that there's going to be magic or at least they should. Cause otherwise like, why are you picking up the fantasy genre? You know? Um, so like you, you kind of, you read and you go like, I'm sure the writer will get around to explaining how this works, you know, or show me enough that I can figure out how it works or whatever the case is. But uh, yeah. So, so that was my problem with how the dude did it. And, I've seen it as a trend in so many fantasy books recently. They open up with this action or or this quick entrance into battle or, you know, it, it's all like action, action, action. I'm like, but A, why do I care? Why do I care about this character? And B... Why are you slowing down the action? Because you need to explain relationships to me. If I'm reading action, I wanted to read it fast. I want to read it like I'm in the fight. Mm -hmm. I can't read it like I'm in the fight if you are 
you have a monster bearing down on you and you're thinking about the trouble you got into yesterday because that explains your relationship to your mentor. Is that what you're thinking about when a monster's barreling down on you? (laughs) No. And that's, again, my entire career, not my fans. None of my fans have ever said anything about it. But the industry, the one thing that I've gotten docked on in every single industry that I've been in, all the different publishers, all the different you know games or whatever that I've worked for, it's always been, man, you start the story out a little too slow. You need to like, you know, I told the story about Patrick Labruto with, you know, the, the lion fight scene. And I was like, it's not going to work. And he's like, yes, it is. It trust me. And it didn't work. Um, the industry is still in this, you know, Michael Bay, you got to have huge explosions and that's what hooks people. And it isn't. And I'm, and I'm a firm believer of that. I'm a firm believer. And only because it's been proven to me over the last 20 years that fans want to care about the character first and then you can do anything you want and and they will they'll take that to heart um and so that's why i always you know my stuff tends to start a little slower uh and that's why in video tv and movies that's where it becomes more difficult for me because those are very time limited Mm. and so you know as a novelist i've got like as much time as I want, as long as it's interesting, you know, like we talked about the opening chapter of our dairy in, you know, the Genesis rewrite, it is almost 5,000 words of nothing. He wakes up, he goes downstairs, he eats breakfast, he goes off the farm. That's it. That's all that actually happens in the story. And yet no one will put that chapter down. Like it's interesting from the moment he wakes up to the moment, you know, he lays back and looks at the clouds in the sky. Like every bit of it is engaging and exciting and and not exciting as in there's a lion dude in the middle of a coliseum fighting a bunch of people that are trying to kill him, but definitely gripping and interesting. Mm-hmm. And and at the end of it, you actually give a crap about the Ardari character. And then, you know, usually it's kind of just the way it works out. But in Ardari's second chapter, kind of a fight sort of happens, not like the lion dude's fight where he's actually fighting, but but something happens that's a lot more exciting. Um, and it just kind of, and you know, is that way. Now, the beautiful thing about having multiple characters is when you do get to the Alith character in that in that uh story, which is in the new rewrite, but not in the original version, because I added her as a completely new story arc to this rewrite. Um, that will be out in June, by the way, in case in case anybody's asking. Um, that's when the next Genesis book will be out. Um me, I'm asking. So, you know. Her her opening chapter starts in a fight, and there are reasons for doing it as well. Even though it's her introduction chapter, she is very mysterious and very weird and not human. And what the crap is going on? And you know all this stuff. And we've talked about this when we were talking about the villain. She is technically the villain in this in this first book. Um, she learns that she might be on the wrong side as as her story continues, but. You know, that's why she's actually hunting three rapists, three confirmed rapists that she's hunting. And it's because it's that save the cat moment. So even though I'm starting her and you're going to follow and watch her do all sorts of horrendous things to the actual other characters, I want to start her with a save the cat moment where you're like, oh, well, I mean, I like this chick. You know why? Yeah, now she's doing bad things against other characters I like. But at least, I mean, I kind of understand why she's doing it and I kind of feel bad for why she's doing it. and, And I get that she doesn't really understand the whole you know, how the world connects and everything like that. So, um, you know, again, it's very methodical. 
on how I write and how I think about characters and story development and everything like that. It's not, again, I'm not a pantser. I definitely spend a lot of time thinking about relationships of, of how the story is going to go. But all that boils down to the everyman moment. For her, the everyman moment is her being a tool for her boss and you getting kind of locked into that and, and kind of understanding that she's not in control of Jack crap in her life. She is nothing but a tool. And there's a lot of infighting within this organization. So you get all that from that chapter. Our dairy, you get that he's got a lot of internal angst and it's, it's more your traditional. And that's really what I play with a lot. And that's kind of the, the reason why Genesis even got created was I was frustrated with a lot of tropes about fantasy. And so I decided to really go heavy against them. Um, so I start them all off in the very tropey, tropey way to then take them in a completely different direction. Um, so he starts, you know, like, like Aragon started, like, um, like so many different fantasy books. I mean, it's insane how many start this way where it's like, I'm just a nobody farm boy, but I, in my gut, I feel something magical, something that's going to set me apart. Um, and then by the end of the book, they're the best fighter, mage, hero, the whole nine. Which is why in the first book, Ardari literally does nothing. He's a victim from, you know, it starts off that so, way where he's like, oh, look, I'm magical. I've got something special. And then he's just drug, kicking and screaming to the very end and, and doesn't do anything. Like, you know why Louis, you know why Louis is like, actually, I mean, Louis is not a nice person. Especially no. in book one, Louis does heinous things. Like if you if you actively look at it, he, he does some really bad things, right? He's, He's a hired got a killer. lot to answer for. <laughs> and the the reason why I did that was much the same reason. Because yeah. I was so freaking tired of 18-year-old assassins who've just come out of assassin school, are the best assassin ever, and never kill anyone. I was like, this is some bullshit. Oh, you, you went write... the other direction. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, you want to write an assassin character. You want to have an assassin character. They are not heroic. <laughs> yeah. I have objections to this moral bullshit of assassins. Like, yeah. that's not an assassin. An yeah. assassin is a killer. That's the only thing they are. And... So, yeah. So, Louis is my, my also my, <laughs> about, yeah. like, my irritation. Yeah, I about that, but yeah. <laughs> That is where some magic can happen for audiences when you can mm -hmm. when you can take a trope and and use it in a very different way, but it still feels comfortable because it feels because like there's so many people that get to the end of that, our dairy chapter and they're like, oh, this is going to be another Harry Potter, another, you know, Aragon, another, you know, it's, I'm so comfortable with this type of story because I've read it so many times. Um, and this one's interesting and it keeps me captivated. So I'm going to really enjoy learning how this guy becomes the best mage or the best fighter, or the best whatever. And um, and then it just goes different directions. Um, so, you know, that's I think that's where a lot of magic can be found. It's, it comes back yeah. to my chapter that I call spaghetti in my dynamic story creation book. There's only one way to make spaghetti. And yet there's a billion different flavors of the same exact red meat sauce spaghetti. It's just how you mix the spices, how you mix the ingredients and everything like that. And that's really where we're at as writers is you're not going to invent a new type of meat. You're going to just make the dish unique to you using the same ingredients that everybody else uses. Exactly. Exactly. And, you know, there's like you can have. 
the farm boy. You can have the assassin. These are all trope characters, right? A, a, a lot of a lot of my characters, a lot of your characters, even even like the lion dude is basically the barbarian warrior. Oh yeah. I mean, there's there's tropes are plenty in the work. It's not about not having tropes because pretty much fantasy is the most tropified genre, you know. I would disagree. I mean, there's a murder in every murder mystery. There's a romance and you know, there's a falling yeah. in love in every like yeah, every sure, genre. Sure. But we're sure. talking but what we're talking here is we're talking genre tropes. Mm. And genre tropes are not only important, but they're also mm. required. You must put in the genre tropes of your genre or you're not in that genre. Yeah. And you're yeah. the readers that are looking for, you know, that genre are not going to enjoy that. And I actually here I do want to go down a, a different rabbit hole because I've encountered a couple of books recently where it was basically a western story, right? Or 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 a or a gun story or a 1800s gaslight mystery, right? And then there's like a couple of fantasy elements plastered on it. Like maybe there's a horrible monster, you know, and this book is being billed as fantasy. And I'm like, this is not fantasy. This is at best, it's urban fantasy at best. And, and it really annoys me because I rarely read outside the fantasy genre and I don't like reading you know, if I'm reading urban fantasy, like I, I have chosen that urban fantasy very carefully because I don't like most urban fantasy. You know, I definitely don't like most weird West. <laughs> There's very few weird West books I like. So if you build your book as fantasy and I open it and it's weird West and I didn't choose to read weird West, I'm just going to put it down. Right. Well, so Mistborn is one of my favorite, you know, the first book is definitely my favorite fantasy book probably ever written the series not not quite I, I still think Guardians of the flame is my favorite series overall um but because of that i never read out the alloy of law because it was a western magical thing and i don't like guns and magic being mixed but i started it last night i actually read the the prologue uh last night because it's something that you know i've owned forever i actually own the audiobooks so i was just there was a I needed to fill some time. So I was like, whatever it, it's in my list. Let me read a little bit of it. Um, but yeah, that's the same thing. The reason why I never read it was because it was like cowboys and Mistborn, And do I really want to go down that path? Uh, the funny thing is, is over breakfast this morning, my youngest son who's now 18, but still um, he's gotten pretty heavy into um, Warhammer 40 K not the game. I won't let him do that. Cause it's basically just cardboard cracker in this case, plastic crack. Um, and we don't have the money for that yeah, type no, of addiction. A... I'd rather him just go get <laughs> hooked on heroin. Uh, it'll be cheaper um, and probably healthier. But he, he's gotten really into the, the lore. And um, and I was like, eh, not my thing. But, you know, if he starts reading, because he's not a reader. My oldest has literally read the entire Internet and is waiting for the Internet to produce more content so he can read some more stuff. Um, but my youngest... It's just never been a reader, like a few graphic novels that I've gotten him to read and stuff like that. But that's about it. And um, but, you know, it's kind of the case in point. Like, I really do love the orcs of that. So if you're not familiar, the orcs in that. Uh, so it's a modern day world, you know, where everything is technology and all that, except for except for with the with the orcs. None of their stuff works. 
Their combustion engines don't actually work. Nothing works. The orc's magic is if they just believe in something, it is. So they just believe the car will go forward when they push the gas. And it does. The engine doesn't do anything. None of the actual equipment actually works. And then, yeah, they believe if you put red paint on it, it will go faster. So, um, so I'll tell you I'll tell you something that's really freaking awesome about it is um, in, in one version of the game where you do the models thing. Because, I mean, of course, I've done Warhammer 40K. <laughs> um, yeah, I've never one, played it because I it, can't get hooked on another type of heroin. In, I, in one version, if you paint the orc, if you paint on the orc uh, models, if you paint the red stripes, they give you one extra movement. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because red stripes make it go faster. Right. And so that's from a world building standpoint, that is really, really cool that they're this entire race's magic works off of belief. They just believe something will happen and it happens. So, so that's Warhammer, really cool. Warhammer 40k, like I, I I am in two minds about guns and fantasy. To me, it very much depends. So Warhammer 40k. I freaking love it. I love the lore. I love the world. I I own all the role playing games. I regularly run in it uh, wow. because it's a, it's amazing. You, Never actually played. So there's there's one version of the game where you get to play Space Marine. So you this mm-hmm. like eight foot tall wearing power armor, you know, juggernaut mm-hmm. striding the landscape like <laughs> misting, you know, chaos demons and stuff like that. It's fantastic. Um, and there's one version where you like investigators in a horror scene, and then there's one where you like space pirate and a, a ca- space pirate captain and his crew on a ship and so on. It's really it's great. But Warhammer 40k, the lore, the guns, everything works together. It's such a tightly built world. I mean, Shadowrun is the same way. Yes. Um, and I have played Shadowrun, and I've written I've, for Shadowrun. I love Shadowrun too. Oh. Love Shadowrun. <laughs> but I don't, it's still not my game of choice. It's still not where... And I was a little tainted. The first FASA version of it didn't actually work. Like, the, you bought the books and the system was broken. System um, but Catalyst better. has done a really good job with the 5th edition. Yeah. Um, I think even 6th edition is out or coming out. 4th um, edition was playable. So 4th edition of Shadowrun was the first one that was playable. Previous to that, what we used I think to that's, do... When we, I think 4th edition was Catalyst's first edition, yeah, if I remember yeah, correctly. Yeah. Um, and then their 5th edition is actually... That's what I wrote in was the 5th edition. What um, we used to do for, for Shadowrun previous to that, in like edition 1 through 3, is you played with a lore and you ignored the system because it didn't work. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I still own the original FASA stuff over there. Um, and it just, we tried. We read and tried to figure it out. and It's it impossible. It didn't work. Um, anyway, we're way off subject. Let's, let's, let's bring it but, back. But getting, to... getting back to guns, uh, just, just on, on guns and fantasy and, and building fantasy worlds, because I, I feel that this is kind of on point, is you can. You can include all of those modern things. You can do it science fantasy the way Warhammer 40K is. Because Warhammer 40K is science fantasy, right? Right. A lot of the stuff works by hand-waving. And there is magic. But the magic, the technology, it's all integrated. It all feels like it's a real world. What I've seen is like it's actually the West and then somebody slapped a fantasy label on it. And it feels like somebody slapped the fantasy label. Right. It you're you're talking about misgenring. Integrated. Right. You you're know? talking about misgenring something. Yeah. 
there's, there's like somebody flashes magic, but there's no consideration for how that impacts the technology. Right. And that doesn't work for me. Yeah. There's a Wild West role-playing game that I played that was really cool. Weird um, West? Maybe. Um, the the system used playing cards instead yes. of dice? Weird West, yeah. Okay. Um, we only played it a couple of times. I still have the books over there, but really cool. That was uh, that yeah. was incredibly fun, but yeah. <laughs> anyway, uh, way off the subject of of every the man. everyman character. Yeah. Uh, now we're just talking about the every role playing character. Um, <laughs> but no, I mean, so getting back to this, the reason why this is so important to understand about not starting in backstories and not starting in, you know, an action that doesn't that you haven't connected. If you, if you can come up with an action series that you can connect the character to, which I feel I do in like a list opening chapter, I feel like I, could, I connect you to her. And then you're also in this action scene. Um, then great. If you can do it, you can do it. The other nice thing is that's the fifth character I've introduced in the story. So you've had a lot of times. Chapter 13. So you've had a lot of time. You're about 50,000 words into this puppy by that point. Before you get to her chapter, you're invested in the world. you know. And, and the nice thing about that is I also cheat when it comes to anything the readers know. So that's that's another thing that that I see other writers making a mistake where they're like, well, this character doesn't know this aspect of the world building, but the reader does don't repeat it. Like, so I use, and that's why I chunk up. And we've actually been talking about this with the, with the uh, magic falls from the sky that we're kind of plotting together where it's like, okay, well, my character's going to be introducing the politics of the world. Your character's going to be introducing the, the magic of the world. And so that when I do need to, to deal with magic, I'm just going to write it as he knows it. I don't have to explain anything. I don't have to describe anything. I don't have to do anything. It just is because the reader already will have known because of the other characters chapters, what needs to happen. The same thing, you know, when you're dealing with the politics of the city, and you won't have to explain the politics exactly. of the city because the, and, unless it hasn't been explained yet in one of my chapters. But even if my character doesn't know, even if Buri doesn't know about the politics of the city, I'm still not going to have somebody explain something that the reader already knows. I'm right. just going to summarize it with something like blah, 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 explain to her the political structure. I'll come up with a right. better line of prose than that, but you know. Right. But no, um, dropping those tells are actually very important when, when, because what, what is the piece of information that we need to give to the reader? Burry learns this thing that you already know. That's the information. That's a, that's you all can do that in one line. It does and then not need Murray to be spent the anything. next three hours in the library studying about the council, its origins, and how it works together. Boom. Yeah. That's not going to happen. But I'm just saying. Because yeah. um, I don't know if there's a library in this story. I don't think. And if there is, we won't actually go there because we're going to almost instantly go down to the surface of the planet and have a death-defying race to also, also Buri is not a library kind of character. That's not. True. <laughs> that's, True. Not, that's not. But. But. You know the the point is you don't you don't cover in detail when all you want to convey to the reader is this she learns this thing that you the reader already know right but it's still very important to establish who the character is it's still very important to establish relationships even if I mean, even if your everyman moment is a couple of paragraphs, if it's intense enough, if it connects me enough to the reader, fine. 
right? But don't don't start me off with bullets flying over somebody who's who I completely don't know. Now I again I do it in in the prologue, but I do it in a prologue, you know. Well, but you also don't do it anything big. So I don't. Brandon Sanderson is still my second favorite author, mm. and even though I was not impressed with the prologue of The Alloy of Law, mm. I really wasn't. Um, mm. It had a lot of mistakes in it that I actually slapped my literally first time writers group members for doing. Mm. And so that was a little disappointing to to read some of this stuff. However, the big thing, because the little things, whatever, he's writing a lot of words, you're making mistakes when you're writing that fast he doesn't have a lot of time to get everything edited anymore because he just produces so much so fast. I'll give him all the passes on stupid little, you know, like there is a time in there where he wrote, um, you know, blah, blah, blah. He thought to himself and you've all heard me say, like, don't do that. You know, you can't think to anybody but yourself. (laughs) So unless again, unless the world has some type of tele telepathy and then you have to work that in or whatever. Um, but but 99.9% of all books, when your character's thinking, they're going to be thinking just to themselves. Um, and so that's a little disappointing to read in that. Um, now, that being said, in the prologue, you meet this character. He's on the hunt for a serial killer. He catches the serial killer at the end. But the serial killer has his partner with, with a garret around her neck. And she's on her knees in front of him. And um, he he does set up this moment where she saves his life from this guy with a bow that's going to kill him. And then they're kind of next to each other at this moment and they're talking about whatever. And he's thinking about long ago, they lost track of how many times, you know, or I think the line is something like uh, and it was a good line. Uh, they used to keep track of who was ahead in the saving the other's life, but they'd long ago lost track of that. And that's great. That's a great little line. Then there's a throwaway line where he says he loved her. And it's literally after she's left him and he's like, I, you know, he really loved her. And that's it. You don't really get any emotions before that. You don't get any emotions after that. You just get this one telly line of he loves her. And then you go and, you know, you track the serial killer down. You're alone and you get to the end and, and the girl is there and she's in, in position. And they have because they've been working so long together, they actually have this blinking system to let um you know because they've obviously been the hostage many 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 times and the other person's been the rescuer many 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 times and so they've got this blinking system to kind of line things out and so they use that and he shoots you know he shoots the bad guy but magically he pulls her in front and he you know the the hero shoots his love right in the middle of the forehead or maybe it was in the eyeball whatever um and as a scene that sounds cool except for I don't care. I don't feel love for this girl because I, first of all, the the scene never really connected me to the main character, the narrating character. And this is the prologue. So I don't even know if this is the main character of the book. I think it is, but again, I haven't read it. Um, But not only did I not get connected to the narrating character, that one throwaway line of he really loved her does nothing to make me love her so when he shoots her in the forehead or in the eyeball whatever and she dies i don't really care it doesn't do anything it's not that i don't care i feel nothing i don't feel that he's lost something i don't feel that he's hurt i don't feel that he's gained something i don't feel 
anything because I don't feel that relationship. And so I, I really, that was the big disappointing thing for me in that prologue was that it's, and again, it starts in an action sequence. Oh, because it starts right in the middle of him dodging bullets and, mm-hmm. and getting shot at and, you know, this thing happening in this town where he's hunting the serial killer. And, and I just don't care. I just, none of it matters to me because he didn't do anything to make me connect to the narrating character. He didn't, and if you fail to connect me to the narrating character, then I don't care about anything they care about. And telling me they care about something does not make me care about that something. You have to connect me. That's why the everyman is so important because you need to make me care about this character. Then you need to make me care about what they care about. That way, when they lose what they care about, I lose what I care about. And that's the magic of it. Yeah. See, now, I do in my prologue, as I said, I do in both my prologues. I start you in the middle of the action with a character you don't know. But I also kill that character in that prologue. Because those prologues are villain prologues. It's just that I don't write from the villain's POV. I write from the peripheral narrator who is one of the villain's villain's victims right so what you're getting is what is the villain doing that's what you're getting in the prologue and in the first chapter of the hidden blade i refer back to the events of the prologue so you immediately get the context of oh that was what i was reading and i keep it short you know because of all of those reasons it's also interesting to read just cold and that's what you're looking for you're, and, and how many movies, mystery movies or murder movies or whatever, start off the exact same way where the camera is following this person, your interest, they, they do whatever they do to make you interested in them. And then that person dies. Mm. And then in the next scene is when you meet the actual character that's the, the hero of the story. That's happened a million times and it can be done really well. Um, another thing, just because the scene popped into my head, 12 Monkeys with Bruce Willis. It actually starts off after the inciting incident. The world's already destroyed. He's already been a prisoner. He's already being used for scientific experiments, blah, blah, blah. Now, they cheat because they're video, and video gets things that we prose writers don't get. But one of the most brilliant things about that is the freaking postcard. And they use that postcard throughout the entire thing. But you want to connect the character to what they love to give me insight in the character. So he's in this prison. He's got nothing. His life is crap. And yet he's got one postcard. It's not even written to him. It's the front. It's the picture. It's a beach scene. And when when the Bruce Willis character looks at that and and touches it, and you can you just get this. And again, it's all video, so it's just Bruce Willis visually acting, and and that we would have to write this if we were doing this as prose. But that postcard really lets us know so much about. Not only the character's position and the fact that he's never going to get anything, and he's just the the best he's going to get in life is daydreaming about a dirty, you know, bent up, creased picture of a beach. Like, that's it. That's the best your life is ever going to get. And it does such a beautiful job of connecting you to that character. And, And so as a prose writer, that's what you're looking for. You're looking for something very easy and very simple that is that magical moment that makes the readers go, Oh, I really like this guy. I can relate to this girl. I can, 
I get what this person is is experiencing in their life. And opening up in a gunfight, opening up into a sword fight, whatever, is not always the way no. that's going to give you that information. And maybe you want to do that in your chapter one. But in that case, like, and I want to give a shout out here to an indie author called Will White. In his prologue, what he did was he gave you the main character as a child and the like, the main character experiences this moment where he's going for a magical testing at eight years old and he completely fails it. Like he doesn't have enough magical energy to do anything with it. Right. And like the devastation of an eight year old. And he really puts you into that eight year old's head, like for that prologue period. And then the first chapter is that kid at 16, like fighting a, a beast, trying to get to this like fruit that will give him a little bit more energy and stuff like that. So it opens in an action sequence in chapter one, but you have the prologue to have the everyman moment. And I mean, I guess you could you could do it that way, right? But give me some way to connect to the character before the bullets start flying. So pretty much you don't need to write prologues for the most part. I know you have them. I know you just talked about one. A lot of people do them. Most of the time people use prologues wrong. Like for that, if I was writing that and that was my idea, whatever, and that was, let's just say it was, that was the way I was going to do it. I would probably just have the eight-year-old version be chapter one or be a scene of chapter one. So maybe make the, the chapter one, two scenes, one at eight and one at 16. Prologues are different to me. Why I don't use them very often. And when I do use them, they're they're always for these very specific reasons. If you're going to be in the head of the main character, even in an earlier time, doesn't no, necessarily I... have to be. And again, not yeah. that it's wrong to do it. We're just talking about my opinions yeah. on prologues. I, I tend to agree with you. Like I, I think that should have been his chapter one. But regardless, I appreciated getting the right you still moment. get the every man moment where you actually care about this person and then you get into it yeah personally i feel prologue should be reserved for um peripheral characters off plot things villains you know things that are not connected to the main part of the story or in, in my opinion or the, so wheel of time starts off with um you know the dragon re well the dragon mm. isn't mm. reborn yet but it starts off with the dragon um now i think I think it was a brilliant prologue. Mm -hmm. I think Jordan failed miserably with it because then it's never mentioned again for the first, I think, three novels. So by the time I actually got to something that made it relevant, I was actually like, I feel like I've read something about this. What what was it? I don't remember. And then when I reread the thing later, now the prologue was like impactful, but it was took so long to get there that, you know, and I think that Sanderson did a much better job with that in Way of Kings. So it opens up with this weird prologue that you're like, I don't understand. And these gods, these powerful gods, kind of, they're not really gods, but they're they're putting their weapons down and they're doing this thing. And and it doesn't make mean anything. But fairly quickly, you know, within the first act, you start going, oh, this is what happened yeah. in the past with these powerful guys, and this is why this is the way it is in the world. And so he does a much better job of. Of doing that. The, yeah. In my opinion, a, a prologue, especially in a first book, your prologue needs to pay off fast. Because if you have yeah. new readers picking you up, they don't maybe know you. So they're like, I don't know if this is going to pay off. Am I wasting my time here? So right. you want to give them a sign that you do pay off. Right. You know, 
which is why I don't think I've ever done a prologue in a first book. I want to I want to give you the character. I want you to fall in love with the character. I want you to connect with the character. I want you to fall in love with what they're falling in love with. I want you to care about what they care about. And then I'll do a prologue in the second book if I need to. Um, because now you have an entire novel under your under your belt. You understand the world, the magic, the the characters, the 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 conflict, what's at stake. You're invested. And now I can give you this. And, and I do that in the Genesis. So you go into um there's actually two prologues at the beginning of book one. Um our book two, I'm sorry. Uh, and they're completely different. So, um, you know, and they're both there for, for completely different reasons, but yeah, it just kind of depends on, on what you're trying to do. And again, this is why I always go back to on purpose by design, because it was a choice, not a random, Oh, this will be cool. I wonder if this will work. No, I've already thought about that. I've already talked about that. I've already, you know, bounced that off of all of my my alpha readers and and like, hey, this is what I'm thinking about doing. What do you think about this? What do you think my pitfalls are? What do you think would be the advantage of this? And then really tested it out and 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 worked on it. So, and I think that that is a good note on which to end this podcast. So, we hope that you have gotten some good knowledge out of this, and we will see you soon for another one. Bye.